what, uh, how, how many loaves of bread do we have? We, we could probably get into that and, and ask and, and, and find a question that was, okay, we, we could, what, what do we have today? Some metaphorical adaptation. But there are some questions that Jesus asked that we could just ask them right now. That, that if Jesus was here and, and starting in his ministry right now in, in, in 2020, he would ask the question probably the same way that he asked it then. Um, so, um, I do believe that the Bible, that all 172 of those questions are applicable. I, I don't believe that Jesus asked out-of-date questions, but some of you would have to work at to, to get uh, some application. Now, we do need to understand that, that when Jesus spoke, he was specifically addressing situations then. A lot of people approach the Bible as though it was written to them. Now, we, it's written for us. It's written for us to get things from, right? But it's not written to me. And so there are things in there that, that he would have to word differently to, to address me specifically in my situation. Uh, so, so there's a lot of things like, for example, the Jewish Gentile uh, situation. For the, for the majority of this world, that's not an issue. Right? There are places where it would be appropriate and, and he would address that issue. But, but here he might word it differently if he was in the United States might handle the same concepts between human beings and different types of human beings, but he would word it differently. Uh, and, so, uh, and so as we look at some of the things going on in, in our world and, and, and people start approaching the Bible and approaching these questions and things like that, uh, we start interpreting. For example, uh, the Bible is written for me, so we start interpreting all of our events. We've had a few events happen this year, and, and it's interesting to listen to preachers talk about these events because all of the events are apparently about the book of Revelation. Right? And, and, and it's all coming true right now. As though God penned this book 2,000 years ago and said, okay, listen, it has no value until 2020. Then it's about you. <laughs> no, that's not what the book of Revelation is. We're not going to get into that. Uh, but, but it's written and it's, it's valuable. We can get some valuable lessons for it. And it's interesting that, that every 10, 20 years or so, someone looks at all the world events that are going on in the world and they say, oh, it's the book of Revelation. Like, like remember Y2K? Oh, that was the book of Revelation until it wasn't. Like, oh, it must be something different. Uh, oh, the, the Soviet Union and the, and the, the fall of Soviet Union and, and, and European Union. And, and you can just go back in time and back in time and back in time and, and, and every, you know, every 10, 20 years, some major thing happens, right? So, so this, whatever's going on in the world is, is going to come and go, likely, and, and, and people will have to search for a new, new thing. But the questions that Jesus asked were valid. There's some of them that are just so poignant. And they are so written to me because they're written to all humanity. There are situations that just don't seem to change. They, they, don't, they don't go out of style. And there is, we're going to begin with one important question in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin in verse 13. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? 
And Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by a man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ or the Messiah. Now, um, I want to look at some timeline. I wanted to expand this. I, this, this sermon just kept on expanding. Like, oh my goodness, we're going to have a mini-series here in this one question alone. Uh, but I, I wanted to limit it. As I started looking at the timeline, as I started... Boy, people think a lot of things that Jesus is. And they just answered kind of one general, one general answer at this point in time. But there are, uh, there are a lot of things that people assume and interpret that Jesus is, and we could have got, but, but as I started looking at some of the, the ones that, that people really say that Jesus is, I, I noticed the interesting thing is that, uh, that has to do with our timeline. And so I want to just kind of, as we introduce this question, look at the timeline. This is Matthew 16. If you look just in the previous two chapters, Jesus has fed two large groups. He's fed 5,000 and 4,000. Now, I don't even know if that's, if that was just the number of the men, then these are immense groups. These are, these are like 20,000 or 25,000 people. That would be amazing. Uh, I mean, 5,000 is amazing, but, but, you know, he, he has, uh, how many fish and how many bread, how many pieces of bread? What, what do you have? What do you, what do you have? And, and this is one of those questions that comes from that. But there's more interesting things than that. And, and, the parallel passage that we're going to be looking some at is in John chapter 6. See, that feeding of the, of the 5,000 and the 4,000, right after that, Jesus uses that for his bread of life sermon. Right, that's John chapter 6. And so we're going to look at some, some things that are going on as we look at this question and how the apostles answer it on behalf of other people and, and for themselves. What is going on at this point in time? Because that's going to end up being important. So we want to begin right where, where uh, we, we are at in this, before we go to some of these other passages. The first answer, who do people say that I am? And so Peter says, well, you're, you're one of the prophets, whether you're Elijah or Oh, you're, you're some, some great, John the Baptist, even John the Baptist, recently dead. Uh, you're one of these guys, one of these great people. And that's, sometimes we get into things where people partially admit something. Now, I, I want to notice, first of all, that, that Peter is, and the other disciples there are kind of in tune with what culture is saying. We kind of get this idea that, that Peter and these people, they're, they're, they're kind of like uh, monks traveling around in the wilderness. You know, they have no connection to, to the, uh, you know, just kind of in their own tents with Jesus, and, and he's talking with them. They have no connection to the rest of society. Sometimes, at least that's my picture sometimes. I don't know why I get that picture. But the, Jesus, he says, who do, you, who do men say that I am? He knows that they're kind of around people. Enough that they have an opinion or know what the opinions about Jesus are. That's an assumption here. Uh, and, and so 
they're aware of the general view or some of the general views of Jesus. And so people do this thing where it's kind of a partial admission. Right? Um, when you're in trouble. Did you break that? No, I, I, was, I, I was near it when it broke. Right? This is like this part of people that want to admit, but they can't quite admit, you know, when something... And we do that. And, and there's, this, there's this thing of people that they kind of can't get away from the fact that Jesus has done some amazing things and said some amazing things. They, they can't get away from that admission. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, uh, Luke chapter 11, even his harshest enemies and critics are forced to admit some things. Luke 11, verse 15. In verse 14, it says, Jesus was driving out demons, uh, a demon that was mute. When the demon left the man who had been mute and spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, well, he does this by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. That's how he's driving these demons out. <laughs> well, they had to come up with a theory, right? We, we can't let a... We, this has happened. We have to develop a theory on how this happened. We can't admit that Jesus is God or even a prophet. This group of people wasn't even willing to admit what the general populace was, that he was a prophet. So, they're, well, he's doing this by the power of Satan, but, but he had to have, they had to have an explanation. So they had to have some sort of partial admission that at least he was doing this. They, they didn't go, hey, that didn't happen. Right? They, didn't, they didn't have maybe our news that we, we have today. They could say, that didn't happen. No, I just saw it happen. No, it didn't. You didn't see that. <laughs> well, so many in our, our culture would like to limit Christ to, the, to a something of the past. We'll, we'll admit that it was something, but we can't admit all of this. So it appears that at least in the circles that the apostles traveled in, the people were genuine. They might not have known everything or been able to but they were kind of at least willing to admit that he was a prophet. That's, that's notable. So people wanted to define Jesus in other ways than, than he, what was real. And that's important. And in fact, we're going to see where the apostles might have gotten their views from. In the immediate events of this amazing miracle. And that's still the thing. People still want that... Well, he's a wise teacher. He was, it's, you know, there's a lot of cool philosophical things in the Bible. Not, not, you know, he's just a prophet, kind of like a, a sage, kind of a teacher guy. And that still goes on today. But I want to look at what other people thought. And so we're going to turn to the book of John. And remember, this is right after this event. He, he uses this event and he's preaching a sermon based on these events that have just happened and so in John chapter 6, verse 23, beginning, <clears throat> John 6, 23, the next day,
day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized only one boat was there. Jesus hadn't entered it uh, with his disciples. They had gone away, but had entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Some of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so once the crowd realized that Jesus or his disciples weren't there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum and looking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the lake, they said, Rabbi, good teacher, when did you get here? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate bread and were filled. And uh, that's a interesting thing that people want. One of the, the Jesuses that people want is a Jesus of charity. Now, charity is important. Now, in their case, it was from ulterior motives, but so often people are looking for the, the benefit, even in genuine ways. Just some people interpret Jesus as a, a, a Jesus of social benefit. And he's a, a, a miraculous social worker. Do a, a do-gooder. And he did. Jesus says, listen, I've, I've come to do all these things. And, and among those were to, to, to give recovery of sight to the blind and, and, and to, to feed the hungry. And there's, there's a lot of things that Jesus came to do. I don't want to diminish the good that Jesus did for people physically. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't define his ministry by those things. Those were parts of his ministry. But that didn't define his ministry. Helping was a means to an end. The physical help was there so that he could get people to sit there and listen to a sermon. Not the other way around. Jesus didn't come and hold church so that he could give people food. And a lot of times I think people have turned things upside down where the purpose of the church is to physically help people. That is not the purpose of the church. That is a function that's one of the things that we try to do when we can. I, I don't have the ability to just say, hey, how many loaves of bread do you have? Let's go down and you know, open up a soup kitchen with your seven loaves. I wish I could do that. But that's not what the church is limited to. You can be involved, and it's good for the church to be involved in social benefits and, and helping people. But if, if that's to the exclusion of the spiritual benefit, then, then that's not anything that Jesus was interested in. And Jesus said, nope, you're not getting it today. Jesus said, you're not getting bread today. I did it twice. And you just came for the bread. And so the social benefit is over. And Jesus said no. That, that's a hard lesson for us. <laughs> Jesus said no to people who needed something. And so this idea has been brought into churches who, who define the church as a, as a cause-based 
institution or organization. That's not what the church is. Because that's not who Jesus was. We've, we've often accepted a misdefinition of Jesus. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Well, these were some of the things that people right there at that time were saying Jesus was. This is why Jesus is asking them, hey, what are people saying about me? He wants to know because he knows that these opinions are out there about him. They're floating around. And he wants to know where their head is at. You're a prophet, good teacher. And that's interesting that that's the first thing that they say. With good rabbi, wise teacher, rabbi. You understand what a rabbi was? They accepted Jesus as a rabbi. That, that's not just like a throwaway word. That's like, Mr. Professor, they, they accepted Jesus at 30 years old as a rabbi. That's, that's unheard of. 30-year-olds weren't rabbis. <laughs> just like, they accepted Jesus' wisdom and his charity. Do we stay right there in the same chapter? Let's back up actually a little bit. Here we're in the miracle itself. Verse uh, 10, beginning, he says, Have the people sit down, and there was plenty of grass in that place. So men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had been eaten. And after the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who's come into the world. What do we hear? Where did they get this idea that someone said, Oh, he must be one of the prophets? They were listening. They're listening to the crowd, but that's not it. And Jesus knew that they intended to come and make him a king by force. And he got out of town, Jack. People want a politician. People want Jesus to be a politician. And they wanted it. They wanted him to be a ruler, a king. This guy's amazing. He should make the rules. And this is a common impulse of the people. It's not new. They wanted a political savior. Again, we don't have to assume this is from bad motives. They live in an incredibly corrupt world. Who in this universe that they observed could possibly set up a utopia? This guy. I mean, he makes bread come from nowhere. And he's a great teacher. He's obviously got good things to say. Let this guy set up the world because he obviously knows what's going on. And he has the ability to do it. I mean, this guy should run things. And, and, and that's what their inclination is.
And what was Christ's response? He ran away from office. He didn't run for office. He ran from office. Why do we think Jesus is a political animal? Why do we think that Jesus is so invested in elections? Jesus wanted nothing to do with it. When he would have been the best one at it. Why do so many people then make the next connection that the purpose of the church is political? It's not. If Jesus wanted to set up a utopia, it would have been pretty easy to start one. And, and, and throughout his entire ministry, he's saying, Peter, you don't understand. My kingdom is not of this world. I can set one up. It won't be that hard. That's not what I'm about. And so something that Christ ran away from is something we run to. And this is why Jesus is asking them this question. Where, where's your head at? Peter, what are you interested in? Jesus said, oh, you're the Messiah. And I wonder if maybe Peter didn't understand what Messiah meant. <laughs> like, you got the right answer, but I'm not sure you understood the question. I don't know how you, I used to do that. You, know, you guessed at the fill in the bubbles. And he's like, okay, you got a good grade. <laughs> you, you just filled in the bubbles accurately. That's wonderful. Doesn't mean you knew anything. You just got lucky. He got the right answer. And we see from, from what's going on later that, that and he didn't really get the question yet. I, I, we're all guilty of it, I think. Maybe not all. I'll speak for myself. We're, I'm guilty. We all see corruption. We all see things running the way that we don't think they should run. And you go, God, you need to fix this thing. Okay. Why? <coughs> Did you not get the memo in John chapter 6 that I'm not interested in politics? He ran. Slipped out. And so Jesus is asking, who do you think I am? Not because he didn't know who he was. Not because he didn't know who people were talking. He knew exactly. This is for his disciples. He wants them to wrestle with the question of who he is. He's got to get 12 people to be dedicated to his mission. What are you about? How far are you willing to go? Am I just a rabbi, a good teacher? Am I just a charity case? Am I uh, a politician to you? What am I to you? But who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. That's Messiah and Christ is the same word. One's Hebrew, one's Greek. It means a chosen one. 
It's a person selected for a particular mission. When you say the word, when we say Christ wasn't his last name. It wasn't like Joseph and Mary Christ and they had this nice kid named Jesus. When you say Christ, you say it's, it's a man named Jesus with a mission. And, and he was the only one that could do this mission. So when we acknowledge Jesus as a Messiah, right, you were baptized, you said, do you take Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Do you accept him as the Christ, the Son of the living God? You said, I am taking this person's mission as I am baptized into Christ. I am accepting the mission. That means when I accept that mission, I'm getting rid of all competing missions. It doesn't mean that we can't do good things. It doesn't even mean that I can't be pay attention to politics and vote for this person or that person. I'm not saying that that's you know, anathema. But I'm saying that those are other causes. And at whatever point those become a distraction to my mission as a Christian, those things have to go. It's important that I make his mission mine. If I'm going to accept the person, I accept the mission. Because he was defined by his mission. That's what his title means. A man with a mission. He was a man on a mission. That's what Christ is. And his primary mission is not social causes. It's not benevolence. It's not health. It's not all of the other things that we could go down and and. and give a list of things that people want Jesus to be. It's not rights. It's not all of those things. And so here's a challenge. Starting today, monitor your interactions Monitor what you feed yourself with. As people interact with you, what will their takeaway be? What will their understanding of your mission be? And if based on your interactions they have to define Jesus, how will they define Jesus? Because if they, based on my actions, think that Jesus is a social worker, I've defined the wrong Jesus for myself. And I've communicated the wrong Jesus to the world. If they think that Jesus is a cool science teacher, I've defined the wrong Jesus to the world. If they think that Jesus is a a campaign stumper, I've defined the wrong Jesus. Not for them, for me. So God is challenging us. Are you frustrated by everything going on around you? Good. That's good. Because now God has me right where he wants me. Because what have I now found out as I'm frustrated by things? I, I, I could be frustrated. All of these definitions of God come because of something I personally want. 
I, I can be frustrated by, by the, the social inequities between groups of people. And so the church needs to be addressing that. Okay? I'm frustrated. I can be frustrated by the incorrect things that people say about the origin of the world and about life and humanity. I can be frustrated by all that. And the things that my kids get taught in school, it's nonsense. I'm frustrated. Good. And I'm frustrated by, by what I see going on all the political nonsense. I'm frustrated. God says, good. You're frustrated. That means that all your cures aren't working. All your cures don't mean nothing. They're not shaping or affecting this world significantly. You need a Messiah. You need someone just a little bit different. And that means he's not going to look like you want him to look. He's not going to be another teacher like you've had teachers he's not going to be another benevolent organization like you think of benevolent organizations he's not going to be another politician like you want a politician God has me right where he wants me and so I I invite you today to leave here and lay down those causes that's difficult because we're familiar with those tools. We talked about tools that we're familiar with before. I know those tools. They fit in my hand. And I know how to wield them. But there's only one utopia to be found in this universe or beyond. It's not here and it's not ever going to be here. But it is going to require a Messiah to get me there. That's his mission.